0: We got to improv all the time. All right.
1: Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education lab, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and take the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks and just grind them into a fine pace that we can... Wow, to you're you're to really violent of. today, but but I, I, I I'm with you. Let's just grind it up. Let's let's grind it up. So happy national pizza with the works except anchovies day. Ex- why what's
0: the hate about anchovies? <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
1: yeah, what, what do you got against anchovies? I like anchovies. It's it, it, nice and salty. Can't have too much. What
0: no, were we talking you about? You today? don't
1: want the total salt bomb. I feel like they've got a bad rap. But you know what else is a bad rap? <laughs> Customer Education Myths and Misconceptions, and that's what we're here to talk about today. All right, let's do it. Dave, our last episode, um, if these air in order, was a recap of a conference that we both went to and spoke at called DevLearn, Mm -hmm. and it must be conference season because we're here to do it again. What conference are we talking about today?
0: Oh, gosh. Uh, We are today talking about SkillJar Connect, and SkillJar Connect was I think it was a really fabulous, short conference. It was, you know, generally a day and a half uh, held here in my hometown of uh, Seattle, Washington. And it it was wonderful. We're going to just break into some of the high level details of this and and why we thought it was pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. You know, I think one thing that's nice about going to a conference like this is if you listen to our DevLearn episode, you heard that you know, often when you go to an L&D conference, you're going to have a mix of folks who some are doing internal learning, some are doing external learning. Uh, this conference is really focused on customer education and, you know, sort of like Sedma, which we've talked about in the past as well, it's it's an opportunity to really meet people who do the specific thing that we do. And that's hard to come by. So I, I appreciate any opportunity to bring our people together. Right. And I felt like I felt like this was home.
0: I, well, it, it sounds is. really you were in strange. Well, yes, but beyond that, of course, <laughs> it's these are the kind of people that every single one of the people I met and talked with was a customer education professional. I there may have been a couple of people that were were not in our field, but yeah, I would say probably ninety five percent of everybody there is dealing with the same kinds of problems and challenges that we are.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, whether it's at a conference like this or through meetups or through, you know, our, our customer education Slack community that a lot of us are in, it, it's really good to have that opportunity to have that family reunion and, and really talk to other people who speak your language, because, you know, we all go back to our businesses and, often we're the ones who have to go stump for customer education, um, even at businesses that truly believe in customer education. So it, it's always a really good chance for us to share our approaches and best practices and, and, and really speak the same language. So Dave, you know, we don't wanna talk about every single session, but I think we wanna highlight a, a few. Um, so maybe mm-hmm. we can start with one on day one, which was uh, actually a, a repeat guest, she spoke last year, Maria Manning Chapman, who leads the education services practice for TSIA, which is the Tech Services Industry Association.
0: Yeah, you know what? I I have to say, this is my first opportunity to meet Maria in person. And it was great. And she's like, yeah, we wanted to talk with you, too. And this is really awesome. And we're really happy to be here. And her topic was acquiring and retaining learners to drive product adoption. So there was a lot to unpack. Yeah. there's a lot to unpack in this. And um, so what do you think about her presentation? What, what can you tell the our audience about this?
1: Well, I can say one thing that Maria always does really well is she brings the stats and she brings the surveys. So mm-hmm. TSIA surveys its user base, they have benchmark reports. And one thing that they do a good job of in driving the conversation is they're always talking about the correlation between education and business impact. So for example, one of the first uh, facts that she shared was, "What is the average attach rate for training across the industry?" Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember what it was, Dave? I do. You want me to say? I want you to say. Okay. the
0: The average. Uh, let's see. Actually, make sure this is right. I had eighty
1: percent. Uh, so that that is was that, right that was support. Um, oh, the that's attach support. rate for okay, training. Is much lower. It's ten to twelve percent.
0: That's right. No, I had that in my notes right there. Ten to only ten to twelve percent of the of 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 the time, uh, training is even included in the sale.
1: Yeah, and and so people buy these large premium support packages. Um, you know, TSIA obviously measures that mm-hmm. as well. But training doesn't get attached uh, a lot of the time. And the point that she was making there is that just expecting training to sell itself or expecting account executives to be our friends and just sell it out of the goodness of their hearts, it's not going to happen. So we need to think about how we bundle in with other support offerings, but in general, what is our, our go-to-market strategy for training? How do we actually get it into customers' hands? Ooh, you know, I remember a lot about this session. It, she, as I recall from my notes,
0: she talked a lot about the you know adoption and expansion, even with the fee versus free strategy,
1: right? Yeah. You that? Well, and she she talked about fee to free. It doesn't have to be versus. Uh-huh. You can do both. Uh huh. Both and I like that. Where you,
0: you you could have a curriculum in place where you're offering some pieces out for free, like you know certain videos, select modules, webinars, forums, things like that. It doesn't have to be structured content, but then the fees you know, the, the packages that you would sell to your customers of really high impact content could be your video libraries or, you know, e-learning content or even ILT and a virtual ILT.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll go, I'll go a little off script from her presentation here, but mm-hmm. you know, the way I think about this is it really helps in a lot of cases to have a catalog of, of really good free public options Because honestly, that's going to put your education content out into the world. It's going to show your point of view. It's going to show that you're committed to your customers. And frankly, it's going to help you scale. Um, But Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that just because you have a bunch of stuff that is free and high quality, that everything you do should be free, especially as you start to customize or as you start to put in manual effort or do one-to-one efforts with your customers. You want to assign value to that. You want to have some way to show, hey, you know, we, we put in this much effort and the point that i think she would make here we need to have her on the show but i think the point that that she would make here is when you're going to go back to your finance team and say hey i need to add more trainers or more instructional designers you want to be able to show that the work that they're going to be doing is going to be paid for right
0: right that's super important
1: so dave she actually brought up some really interesting impact metrics too cuz you know we're we're talking about revenue right now and we're talking about being able to pay for yourself but you shouldn't just be measuring the revenue that you bring in. That, that could be short-sighted. You should also be yeah. measuring the, the impact that you have. So what, what impact metrics did she point to? How do we tie uh, the work that we do in training to other parts of the business?
0: Well, they, she, she mentioned some really good ones here. And again, these are a little wordy, but bear with me. Uh, one of them was product subscription renewal rates, right? This kind of affects churn. So for what, what is that? What
1: is product subscription renewal rate? Um, so
0: I have, well, we're in a SAS, a subscription economy, right? We're selling our product over a year or two years at times. And what we want to do is show in this case, a trained customer versus there's an impact to that renewal based on whether my customers at an account have been trained versus not.
1: Yeah. When you, right? when, when an account is trained, there's at least going to be a correlation that they're more likely to renew. You'll, you'll probably see that correlation. Exactly. So that's a that's
0: a good one, and, and we've talked about that in our presentation as well, for, yeah. that we did at DevLearn and at other times.
1: What else did she well, go- uh, suggest for impact? Yeah.
0: Cool. Okay, here's another one. Um, so those of you who are interested in support call deflection. What is the call volume into support for trained versus untrained customers—that one can get interesting too, because uh, you know I learned even in the customer success industry, call call volume shouldn't be zero and it shouldn't be infinite. It should be somewhere in the middle, probably lower lower end of it. And if you're deflecting some of those calls because you've trained people well, that's really healthy for you because then your support team isn't com- constantly overloaded and having to be, uh, you know, kind of interim trainers.
1: Yep, that's that's a big one. And, and frankly, if you can help generate efficiencies in your organization by reducing call volume, that adds up mm-hmm. real quick.
0: Yeah, and then there's a couple more uh, product purchase amount for trained versus untrained customers. Mm-hmm. That one's neat, because you, you would you think that your training would actually have an upsell? you know, or I'd buy more content. Maybe that's I'm buying more training because the training was so valuable and helped everybody out. Or I'm using so many of my seats, I want to get more because the training was really good. Right? Well,
1: and again, that I mean, that could be correlation, right? It could be that Mm -hmm. the customers who are buying more also want training. But frankly, you know, whenever whenever I get asked that question about correlation, I say, well, so what? So what if it's actually reverse causation? And because they bought more, they also wanted to get trained? Well, that's good. We want more customers who are buying more, and if their demands of us are that they want training, then that means training is important to those customers. So we we still need to continue to invest in training.
0: Yeah. Well, look, why don't we take a different spin on this? And Adam, I think you were interested in some of our other metrics, um, like uh, penetration rates.
1: Yeah. So you know, we we talked about impact metrics, but it's also important for us to just understand what the reach is, right? How far mm-hmm. is our training actually going in our organization? So she pointed to a few different penetration metrics. And, and again, we've talked about some of this on the show, but
0: yeah. I think
1: the way that she phrased it was really interesting. She said, look at penetration in three ways. And by t- penetration, we're, we're really talking about like how many, how many people or accounts took training. So the first way she looked at this was track your install-based penetration, meaning mm-hmm. of all the customers that you have who could get trained how many of them actually got trained oh
0: i know what the what her stat is on this one
1: Uh, for the average install base across all the customers
0: she surveyed indeed and this is kind of surprising it was a 37 percent
1: yeah did you expect it to be higher or lower i would have hoped it'd be higher (laughs) but i I always hope it'd be higher (laughs) in the room i remember people were calling out like five percent and sometimes that's true well, you know, it also might be that, um, you know, her survey base in, in TSIA, these are customers often who are running more mature learning businesses. So they've probably figured out how to get their install base penetration a little bit higher up than people who are just starting the program for the first time. Mm-hmm. They've selected for the best customers. That's that's my <laughs> hypothesis. Okay, so we've got install-based penetration, and then we've got account penetration. So when we move from install base to account penetration, now we're talking about within an account, mm-hmm. how many people are getting trained? Like, what does that actually look like in terms of, you know, is it, is it one person or is it, uh, you know, the whole organization? So what was the percentage there, Dave, the average percentage? Well, that one was surprisingly a little bit lower, right? Uh, that was, uh, sitting at 31%. That was a 31%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the final one that she talked about was individual penetration. So, that's you know for an individual how much training are are they taking so to speak right and there you're and looking at it a little bit more like like drop off right you want to understand um you know where people are or aren't consuming so the point she made on this is that you know these are these are consumption metrics these relate to someone's use of learning so there's a few ways that she said you could look at it even though she didn't provide uh, an industry metric on this Um, One way to look at it is volume by title. So by title here, she means a type of training. Um, And another way to look at this is learning path progress. So those were two of the the most, uh, I guess, highly regarded metrics in terms of what they saw the most in their survey. Um, But there are other ways to look at individual penetration as well. You could look at frequency, like how frequently they visit or how frequently they consume training. And then duration, how long they stay, those actually tended to be lower. So the story that that tells is that you know people might enter trainings pretty often. Uh, people might go through learning paths uh, when when they're when they're committed to it, but we're not seeing as much um, in terms of people coming back and revisiting or or staying for a long time.
0: You know, this is really interesting and if I could be a little bit transparent in my own personal experiences with consumption and, and I've even had conversations about this quite recently, I think this is something that falls into the, if you build it, they won't come comment, right? That you're building, you're focusing your education team on building all this great content. And unless you have some kind of a strategy for driving that consumption now, we have, we have stats. You know, thank you, Maria, for delivering this, and we'll have her on the show as, as well. It's a call to action for us. We really need to sit down and build a documented consumption strategy. How are we going to reach folks? How are we going to work with other teams and marketing and other, other groups within our organization, customer success, our ProServe team, to really get those numbers up and convince people, customers included, of why the training will help you?
1: Yeah, and it's also this is the point that I think she made is that the point of having a a free to fee strategy is that the free part also helps people keep engaged and keeps them consuming. So if you're looking at this holistically, where you're not just looking at what's the uptake of my fee based training, what's the revenue that I'm I'm, uh, generating from it, then you can start to think a little bit more about what your objective is in terms of each piece of content on that spectrum. Absolutely, yeah well, well adam let's
0: I think we've covered a lot on Maria and there's there's a lot of content out there that she has generated, and, and again, we'll hope to have her on the show,
1: yeah, I mean, uh, I, I feel like we've we've now uh, scooped her on on all the great information <laughs> that she has to share, but I guarantee that if we have her on the show, she will articulate it much more eloquently than we just did.
0: Absolutely. Well, let, let's spin on a little bit more and talk about a couple other highlights. Adam, you did a talk, and what was your
1: talk on? <laughs> well, Dave, I would hardly say it's a highlight. Uh, but my, my talk, it was fun. My talk was on the golden rule for your customer education portfolio. And Excellent. Yeah, maybe, maybe, I'll, uh, maybe I'll, I'll give this talk again. I, I don't like to repeat talks that much, but the point of this talk was actually it was outlining some of the experiences that I've had as a customer education professional because again a lot of the Mm -hmm. folks in the room um, might have been new to customer education or you know even folks who have done it a few times again you know we just don't have the chance to empathize with each other and to say hey you know what we're all in the same boat so you know i was talking about what's the golden rule a lot of the time you come in to an organization and you're going to start customer education and the organization doesn't know what that means. So you're a team of one, and you're kind of chasing after some tactics. And everyone asks the same questions, like Dave. What are the questions we always hear when people are starting out? What is this customer education thing you keep telling me yeah, about? Yeah. Well, what, what am I supposed to? Be? What uh, What format should my content be in? Right? Like, should I yeah, do it should webinars? Be video. or should I do Videos. How, yeah, how long, long should, how long should it be? be? Yeah. Like, right. All Jake's- All those questions. What should I measure? <laughs> what am I expected to measure? So uh, How do what I tools build should it? I use? People ask the same question, but those are all tactical questions, right? Indeed. Um, and so the answer to those will be different based on a few different factors. So what I was encouraging people to do in this talk is to start to get curious about their business and their learners. So I had um, three, I had a three-ring circus up there, a, a triple Venn diagram, a Venn triagram, <laughs> I guess, if you will. <laughs> and in my Venn triagram, I had three pieces. One was get curious about your learners. So, you know, if you listened to our last episode about uh, DevLearn, you heard about all these brain-friendly strategies as far as how mm-hmm. people actually learn. What do adult learners actually retain? We have to know that, but we also have to know what works for our learners, what their preferences are, uh, what situation they're in. Developers might be very different from uh, a mobile-first army of uh, you know AEs who are going out there and they want to be in training for as little time as possible. We got to know some of those assumptions. Mm-hmm. The second piece so, of the oh, go ahead.
0: Oh no, so so are you saying that this wasn't this isn't cookie cutter? It's you're you really need to dial in to the the frequency that these people are on. Like you just said something really interesting to me. Like an AE account executive, that's outreaches bread and butter. Those and sales development reps, they have. It's not that they don't have a long attention span. Is that in the context of their day to day, they they certainly do not. Um, but as opposed to a developer who I was working with at Azuqua who had a, a, a lot of time to learn, they could watch a 45-minute course. It's really interesting.
1: Yeah, although you know, you listen to developers a lot of the time, and they're like, well, just show me the docs. Like, I'll go figure it just out. Just show me
0: the docs. That's
1: right. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, there are some stereotypes based on persona. I won't go too far into the stereotypes, but <laughs> nothing nothing replaces actually talking to your customers and finding out what motivates them and what they're looking for. Um, and then combining that with some of the things we actually know about adult learning and uh, brain-friendly strategies. The second piece of the Triagram was knowledge of the tool and technology landscape. So mm-hmm. to make your portfolio resonate, you also have to know what components you are and aren't going to use. So I think people tend to get excited over new flashy technology, right? People say, oh, there are all these digital adoption platforms out there. There's a bunch of micro tools coming out. Should I be using XAPI? Well, I mean, the, the answer to that is you have to know what problem you're trying to solve before you know which tools you are and aren't going to use. Right. So any any comments on that, Dave?
0: No, I think, well, yes, because the learning stack, the tools that you're using, have they factor in a lot to how you can deliver to your customer. And, you know, we, we look at your learning management system, or, or maybe you're on mobile with a micro learning platform this is there's a there's a big landscape there and you have to be aware of a lot of different things and be able to create a program that has a lot of verbs right and and going back to some of the sessions we talked about in devlearn you're tapping into a lot of different areas of the brain and different modalities and different learning styles and that's crucial
1: yeah and and you know a lot of it also comes back to what your product itself is so if you're a technology Mm -hmm. product chances are there's a certain way that it operates and a certain way that your users are going to engage with it. So, right. you know, I'll, I'll take I'll take Slack as an example here. Well, it doesn't make sense to have kind of a a lot of traditional in-product education in Slack like you can't just slap a widget on there that gives you a bunch of uh, you know, cues in a notification center because that's that's not the way Slack's product works. That's not where users would expect to see that information, right? You've yeah. got you've got this uh interface in a lot of cases that might be powering a chatbot or powering um, an app that someone has built. And there are actually specific UI components there that people are, are supposed to use to build on. So if you're going to build an in-product learning experience, you want to use those components rather than just like slapping in something that's going to feel completely discordant. Absolutely. And then, okay, well, let's we'll wrap this up. Yeah. So let's talk about the third piece of the Venn Uh The third piece is sorry, excuse me. The third piece is really knowledge of your business. So everyone's business operates in different ways. You have different key metrics that you might be tracking. So get curious about the way that your executives are talking about how you make money or how you serve your customers. Those top level uh, executive lenses to look at the business are going to inform how you structure your program as well. It'll structure whether you do more free or more fee. It'll structure um, how you teach people about your business and how people are expected to get value about it. And frankly, that's what education is about a lot of the time. It's helping people go on that path to getting value from your product. So if you don't keep all three of these things in mind to the point you made earlier, Dave, you're going to have a cookie cutter program. And so really what it came down to is the golden rule. For building your customer education portfolio like when you go from day one low-hanging fruit to having a variety of programs is the the golden rule is the golden rule it's treat customers the way that you yourself would like to be treated and in fact i I got a piece of feedback on there which is well really let's let's uh think of it as the platinum rule treat customers (laughs) the way they want to be treated so you have to know um you know their preferences for engagement You have to think about being respectful to them in the way that you're delivering learning. And you have to really think about that, that kind of ventriagram, get curious about what their preferences are and what's really going to help them learn and make your program most effective. And that's how you're going to find a portfolio that's not cookie cutter, but is meaningful.
0: I really dig that. There's one other thing that that was one of my takeaways from your talk, and that's ultimately what customer education should do for your business. And again, that is helping to scale unmanaged customers right? You, you want to be able to give people all kinds of content to, and particularly, and, and I've struggled with this in every position. It's great to be able to offer instructor led, virtual instructor led. But if you have a program that has all kinds of different tools, those unmanaged customers are going to love you for it because they can get in and learn without you having to hold their hand every step of the way.
1: Absolutely. So that was day one. There were a few other panels and a few other talks, and it ended with a really cool education expo where people were demoing uh-huh. uh, their own learning sites But then let's talk about day two. And and specifically, there were a few panels there, but I want to talk about yours, Dave.
0: Oh, you want to talk about my panel?
1: I want to talk Um, about your panel. What what was your panel?
0: My panel was on certification. So what we had talked about there was... um, Let me me pull up my notes here. Well, so who, who
1: was on your panel, first of all?
0: Okay. Okay, so... Our panel was specifically aligning customer education and certifications. And we were talking about models for achieving integrated outcomes. Uh, Dan Nishi from Procar was there. We had Debbie Smith and Debbie Smith is from QuickBase. And then of course me, uh, Thomas Plaster, the director of product management of, of SkillJar was there helping lead that session. Uh, and I think we had a really interesting discussion and dialogue that uh, that really helped, and and I really like this, every time we get into conversations, you and I have had a conversation, two of them, in fact, on this podcast about the the whole complexity of certification. And I think between Dean and me and Debbie, we ran to all ends of the spectrum, where Dean, what I really dig about Dean's program at Procore is his program is, I wouldn't call it formal, hard, uh, what do we call that? High stakes certification. High
1: stakes, yeah. It's not. It's um, it's, uh, it is it's not. a very scalable program. He, he mentioned, you know, they they have, uh, I think, uh, you know, in the, in the six digits as far as uh, completions of their certification program.
0: Yeah, 100,000 at least, uh, which, you know, that is, in fact, a certificate of completion, but it is on the spectrum of certification. It means, well, we're not, you know, deeply proctoring it, we're not going high stakes, but it's, integral and important nonetheless.
1: Yeah. And so we won't belabor the point on certifications. We had two episodes Mm. on it, but one thing that really resonated with me from that panel is there is a spectrum as far as what your certification program is doing. Is it a certificate of completion where it's really just, you completed this course? Is it a, an ABC an assessment based certificate where you're taking Uh a test and then uh, getting a certificate for it, but the emphasis is still on learning or is it truly a high stakes professional certification that needs to be legally defensible?
0: Right. And let's let's tap on that a little bit. So legal defensibility is extremely important. We've, we've talked about that a little bit. But what I really appreciated, I think this is a breath of fresh air in, in any conversation that we've had on this. Debbie Smith, again, from QuickBase, got into the weeds a little bit on what that actually means. Right. And I don't know how far we got into it on our show. Uh, but legal defensibility means that you're going to have to jump through some extra ho- hoops and have some established rigor. And these are universal standards. You know, these are industry standards that it's, a, help it's actually you. a law.
1: It's a law written in 1999. that she called out with uh, with 13 different requirements. And, and these kick in when your certification is used for hiring, firing or promotion. So most mm-hmm. notably, when it's a certification where you have uh, letters after your name. Right. If you're Dave Darrington, PMP.
0: Right. And I I recall even that if, if you are listening and you're in our Slack channel, uh, Debbie did make a note in there of some of, those, some of that information to share with us. R- really vital stuff because, and this is something that I tapped on to close this thought out. I think it's extremely important for any of you listening and any of you listening in particular that are thinking about building a certification program, Adam, you just did this. I'm working towards this, is to really... Be, be very cognizant of the word certification and what it means. I see people slinging that word around every single day and I take it upon myself, and I think all of us in our industry have to do this to say, look, when you say certification, it means something very specific, you know, low stakes, high stakes, we are going to jump through certain hoops, there's the concept of legal defensibility, there's a lot involved here. And it takes a lot of time and effort to build something. So you can, to wrap this session up, uh, you can go from one end of the spectrum. So what Dean had implemented was, you know, a certificate of completion, ABC. Um, this is a great way to to do things and it reduces the stakes but provides a lot of value and debbie would be on the other side of that where you know you have a really high stakes you know something's on the line somebody's life is on the line equipment is on the line uh, these are really important distinctions to make so if you're going to go high stakes there's a reason if you're ceo or your vp of sales or somebody wants you to offer a certification class get into the weeds on what that really means to them and help direct that conversation so that you don't waste a lot of time and you actually provide something of value to your customers and to your business.
1: So I I think that's, that's a great point. And I really, I got a lot out of your panel just hearing the, the variety of different programs, but you know, kind of zooming back out of that and closing out, you know, whether, whether you go to this conference or another conference, I think, the real key here is when you get a group of customer education professionals together, you know, it's going to be a good time because finally we're all speaking each other's (laughs) language. Um, we're speaking the same language one might say. So, Uh you know, I, I think, uh, you know, the word connect is in the title and that's something that all of us as customer education professionals need to do more. So I don't know about you, but I really appreciated the chance to do that. I did. And,
0: you know, I made this comment to a number of people that that were there and, and it, it felt like a homecoming. You know, we had alumni from all over the place, people that we used to work with, people that work with now. It was a really good time. And I walked away from that thinking, man, the next... The next version of this, I'd like this to go up a little bit more, you know, in, in attendance and invite some more people uh, and and really double down on this whole thing, this whole concept of the community and the connecting with other people. I love the concept of the Golden Skillet Awards and showcasing. And I love the fact that we had a lot of roundtables where we could go and learn from each other. Uh, I, don't, I know that you saw the same thing that I did as you sit down at a table and some people were had a lot of expertise and some people didn't. This was really a fresh, refreshing event.
1: Absolutely. I know you and I were at a round table together. I was at a couple with Mm -hmm. Isabel Swartz who's been on our show before. So, you know, just uh, really having the chance to sit down and and connect was super valuable. Now, speaking of connection, if, you want to connect with other customer education professionals we have a podcast website at https customer.education where you can find show notes and other material including our interviews with other members of the customer education community on twitter i am at avormescu and i am at dave Darrington. special thanks to alan coda for our theme music and if this helped you out hey why don't you help us out please subscribe, please leave us a, a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, I'd love it for to be a, a five-star review, but even if it's not, just leave us a review. I mean, it really helps. It helps us expose our podcast to the world. So if you think you're, you're the type of person who doesn't leave a review, why don't you just go and, and, and leave a review for all the podcasts you listen to? Just like knock them all out in five minutes. That'd be great. And all the algorithms love it. And to close out to our
0: audience, thanks again for joining us. We want you to go out, educate, experiment, and find your people just like we did at Connect. Thanks, everybody.
1: Thanks for listening.